My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What happens when the consensus has the consensus wrong? This morning, three of my favorite strategists came on our air and said that they were bullish, in part because everyone is so bearish. Each one took turns explaining how those bears would turn into bulls, propelling stocks higher. Bye, bye, bye. Just one little problem. When one strategist says everyone's bearish, well, that's a listen-up moment. When two strategists says everyone's bearish, well, you might get a little suspicious. But when three big-shot strategists say everyone's bearish, you got to figure the consensus is wrong. We don't have too many bears. We have too many bulls. Ah. And maybe that's why the averages rolled over today with the Dow tumbling 317 points, S&P sinking 1%, NASDAQ losing 0.65%. And by the way, things were a lot uglier for the Dow in the early afternoon. You see, when most investors are bullish, it means, well, there's no one left to buy. Of course, these strategists are smart, rigorous people. They have plenty of facts on their sides. Everything from low interest rates to robust earnings, massive liquidity, all that stuff that's good, right? The fact that there is a miraculous vaccine on the way. I would let anyone in them manage my money if I were allowed to have money managed. Unfortunately, these positives have a whistling past the graveyard tenor to them. And I mean that literally. Let me tell you why. First, it's one thing to read about the rising number of COVID cases. Yesterday, there were 144,000. Wonder. It's another thing to realize what that growth rate means. If infections keep spreading like this, a gigantic portion of the country is actually going to catch this thing. Some say this most recent spike is from Halloween parties. That's just nonsense. Look at the chart. We were having cases going up big on October 30th. The truth is, it's not a spike. It's plain old exponential growth. We used to think there were hot spots like nursing homes or places of worship, but it's not just big gatherings. It's having dinner with your friends inside or bringing your kids home from school. Thanksgiving's only a few weeks away. What happens then? It's becoming like a Stephen King novel. Forget hot spots. It's more like hot swaths because the virus, it's everywhere. It's just ridiculously and horrendously contagious. Now, I know millions of Americans are convinced that COVID is equivalent to a bad cold. And it's only dangerous if you're older or have some kind of pre-existing health condition. President's 74 years old. He got it, went to the hospital for the weekend, and then it seemed like he came out and was more energetic. But the president of the United States gets the best health care in the world, including an experimental drug made by Regeneron that's only been given to a handful of people outside of clinical trials. Sure, we've made real progress in treating the virus. Absolutely. However, if you get a severe case, if you actually need treatment, you still need to go to the hospital and you, see it, you need to see a doctor. Unfortunately, our doctors and our hospitals are both stretched to the limit. When they run out of capacity, we, we do enter Stephen King territory and COVID becomes a lot more lethal than it should be. So what happens then? Now, we keep hearing that no politicians want another lockdown. The last one was brutal for the economy. It sure was. Federal government had to basically pay people not to work so they could stay home and help us flatten the curve. Remember that term, flatten the curve? We'll get ready to hear it all the time if it's possible. This time around, I'm betting we won't have full lockdowns, although we'll definitely have partial ones. Eventually, they'll close the bars, the restaurants, maybe the schools. However, even without statewide shelter-in-place orders, we'll end up with nearly everyone staying home, especially if local governments enforce mask mandates and social distancing. 
After a while, it will be so obvious going out is too risky. Going out of your home, too risky. That the most courageous or stupid will still hunker down. Uh, basically, we'll have a nationwide self-quarantine, except this time there won't be any extra money from Washington to tie people over. Last time, we had a lockdown where only essential stores were allowed to stay open. This time, I expect consumers to do the same thing on their own. You only go out for the essentials because you don't want to get sick or have your family get sick. In short, even if the government does nothing to stop the spread, we still have to deal with a raging pandemic. And that's not a recipe for a robust bull market or a robust economy. We should thank our lucky stars that the Fed is keeping interest rates low, allowing people to buy homes in the suburbs of the country, then pay to renovate them and buy a car to get around. That sequence is what's keeping the economy alive. But it only works if you still have a job. A downturn would be bad news for a lot of employers. Don't forget, 13 million people in the hospitality business in real trouble. Lockdown or no lockdown, many small, medium-sized businesses could be wiped out. This time, though, the landlords and creditors will be less forgiving. Maybe they'll have a heart and wait to foreclose until we get a vaccine. Then again, maybe the bank examiners won't let them. Who wants those stocks? Not me. In this void, what kind of leadership do we have? It's less leadership, more leadership vacuum. I I heard from the president today. He sent me, oh, and millions of others, a campaign appeal. Protect the electoral process. Silly me, I actually thought the election would be over after we voted. But Trump's campaigning as though the race is still on. Meanwhile, the Democrats and Republicans in Congress have dug in their heels. It doesn't look like they're in any mood to get any stimulus deal done. Our public health leadership shambles. It was terrific to hear Dr. Fauci say there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm hopeful we'll get good news from Moderna, Johnson Johnson, GlaxoSmithKline, and Merck. In particular, I'd like to know that J&J has a billion, if not two billion, vaccine doses sitting in frozen warehouses all over the country. I want Merck to come up with a pill that pushes the mortality rate close to zero. And while I'm at it, I would like you to give me a Lamborghini. Without some new breakthrough, I see a world where we stop traveling again, perhaps forcing all the airlines to follow America's lead in offering a huge chunk of stock. Worst case, American Airlines, remember that deal was at 13. It's not looking good. The airlines will need another bailout from the government if there is a government. I can see a bankruptcy looming for the minor retailer chains that we don't think of, the unessentials, and many of the larger players in the mall. We know consumer spending declines when uh, you or a family member gets sick. Given that nearly a million Americans have been diagnosed with COVID in the last week, that's a lot of people spending less money. Of course, we could take the worst case scenario off the table. Get this. I was thinking, how about if President Trump and President-elect Biden would get together and plot out a strategy to distribute the vaccine. And by the way, I think J&J does have a billion, okay? Distribute J&J's vaccine and Pfizer's vaccine as soon as possible. They work together. We get a national plan to manufacture hundreds of millions of doses and then distribute them all over the country like we did with the polio vaccine where you all lined up and you all got it at your school instantly. Can you imagine them working together? Would that be a great country? The bottom line, if you're bullish on stocks here, you have to recognize all these things and believe that in the end, they don't mean anything because we just need to hold on long enough for people to get vaccinated. If you don't feel that way, though, you have to accept that we're in for some pain because this market has too many bulls and a good deal of them are going to panic. Our salute to service Veterans Day tribute continues. First question is from Jason at the United States Air Force Academy, where we were just last year. Jason. Hey Jim, my name is Jason and I'm a senior at the Air Force Academy. My question for you is about Fiverr. 
They've been a clear beneficiary of the freelance and gig economy boom, and the stock is up nearly 700% year to date. But do you think there's enough growth opportunity to support this current high valuation, even as the economy recovers and as people return to full-time work? Thanks, and remember, Army and Navy play for second. I love that. Look, I, I've been looking at Fiverr. Uh, HubSpot and Fiverr, the two that I said, okay, no, uh-uh, not playing. I think Fiverr is, is too expensive, Jason. I don't want you in that stock. I just don't. That is just not the place to be. Okay, there are too many bulls. That's a sign to get cautious, not to get aggressive, because we'll be in for some pain if we don't get more bears on Mad Money tonight. As restaurants, hotels, schools, and other big institutions prepare for a potential second wave of COVID, I'm talking with the CEO of Cisco, that's the SYY kind, to find out how the food distribution is uh, distributor is cooking up a fresh way to do business. Then, what again? Ford CEO has only been at the helm for a few weeks, but he's already thinking of ways to reinvent the brand. Today, announcing an electric version of the best-selling cargo van in the U.S. I'll get the latest with its CEO. And now so many high-flying tech stocks have been crushed, I'm eyeing one that is down a lot and could be pretty enticing. More enticing than fiber. Don't miss my exclusive with another down-and-outer. Alteryx. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. In a market that feels like kind of a tug of war between the prospect of Pfizer's miraculous vaccine and the reality of the current COVID outbreak, what the heck are we supposed to do with a terrific company like Cisco Corporation? That's the SYY kind, the food distributor that supplies restaurants, hospitals, schools, hotels. Cisco surged nearly 17% on Monday because a 90% effective vaccine would be huge for their customers. But the stock's been battered over the last couple of days as our new infection numbers broke records, suggesting we're in for a tough winter. Like every company that's levered to the hospitality industry, Cisco's got problems right now. But they'll be able to survive, uh, 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 just that they need to be able to make it so that they make a lot more money until the world becomes normal. In the meantime, management's taking action to help their clients, many of which are smaller restaurants. Just tonight, we learned Cisco's eliminating minimum delivery size requirements, meaning their clients can place small orders, something that makes it easier for them to stay in the game, as I know from my restaurant and my bar. It's all part of the Restaurants Rising campaign, and I think it deserves more recognition. So let's take a closer look with Kevin Hurricane. He is the president and CEO of Cisco Corporation, took over in February, and was immediately thrown into a trial by fire. Kevin, welcome to Mad Money. Well, thank you, Jim. It's great to be on your show. We appreciate your having us on this evening. Well, I want to talk about this thing because it's really terrific. Uh, I don't think people realize, but the restaurant business is a tough business, and what you want are partners. And a partner is someone that doesn't charge you a minimum for delivery because, you know, basically you're strapped. And I know from your excellent documents that your customers have a better record of staying in business, and I think a part of it is because of the partnership. Yeah, Jim, you know a ton about this industry, having owned restaurants and owning restaurants. And what we would be proud of in this pandemic that we're all going through is Cisco is doing more than anyone in our industry to help those small business customers be successful. Nothing's more evident than that than our announcement today of eliminating those order minimums for small, medium, and large customers, but most particularly 
for those small customers. And we're not doing this as an opt-in program. We have the largest sales force in the industry, and we're literally going to go customer by customer by customer to ensure that they know about this news and offer our free value-added services to help them be profitable and successful during these difficult coming months as COVID surges and the winter months make outdoor you, dining more difficult. But one thing that you did say that I thought was, uh, that frankly is uh, cuts the American character, I believe, is that the restaurant business is a little more resilient than you thought. Uh, look, I mean, they've managed to come up with new ways, outdoor ways. They've come up with ways to be able to save money. Uh, and, and it looks like you're actually somewhat optimistic that we can ride through this. Yeah, Jim, we've been pretty resolute from the beginning that the independent local restaurant tour is an entrepreneur and that they have staying power. There were some industry reports of bankruptcies in the 30, 40 percent range, and we've not believed that from the beginning. With that said, uh, it's proven to out to be even stronger than we thought. Uh, we reported recently that less than 10% of our customers are currently closed. And our job through these coming winter months is to help all of them be successful through the services and the food product and expertise that we provide well, to them. And I think we can put numbers on it. You had a very big uh, bad debt number, and it turned out that people paid, and the bad debt number went down dramatically. Yeah, Jim, we were able to reverse some of our bad debt collections reserve, as you just mentioned, and we're proud of that because of the work we've been doing. We've got a team that uses predictive analytics to actually identify which customers have the highest risk. And we worked with payment plans, frankly, for each of them to help bridge them through this uh, time of difficulty for them and to be a good partner, as you said earlier. Now, how were you able to do uh, have free cash flow of $862 million, which was substantially higher in the same period last year when last year there was no pandemic? Yeah, it's a combination of accounts payable, accounts receivable, strong inventory management, and just managing every uh, penny, Jim. So we're, we're really proud of having positive free cash flow and operating income in our Q1 despite a 20-plus percent drop in sales. I think it's a testimony to our team. And we did say that that almost a billion dollars of free cash flow for Q1 isn't a run rate for the rest right. of this year. It truly was a really strong performance due to the reasons I notated a moment ago. Uh, okay, so, Kevin, let's speak of the future. Uh, I, like many people, uh, had uh, was able to have outside seating, and then it got too cold, and we knew that you couldn't do it because we didn't have the room to put the, the heat lamps. Right. Uh, there are a lot of restaurants in Manhattan, for instance, and also where I live in Summit, that have great outdoor facilities. They've really been able to turn around. Kevin, what happens when it's too cold? Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. And we've seen this coming, obviously, for many, many months. And our sales consultants have been working with each and every one of our customers to extend that outdoor patio season where it's feasible with the space heaters. We even sell uh, domes, tents that can go to the outside to extend it even further. But here's the facts in our data. Cold weather isn't really a driver of performance right now of our restaurant partners. It's the restrictions that are being placed on customers. So, for example, Wisconsin, which currently has fewer restrictions than Illinois, is performing much better than Illinois. And right. it's, it's colder in Wisconsin than, than in Illinois. So, really, it's about what are the local governments doing vis-a-vis on-prem dining and the level of restrictions. That's going to be the driver of our customers' performance. Since we know it's going to be choppy over these next few months as restrictions probably ebb and flow, that's why we lowered minimums to zero uh, to help our customers through this time period. And uh, do you think, I think people are uh, often confuse your business. It's not all restaurants. Are some of these big institutions, like when I see a school system say, listen, we're not going to, uh, you're going to have to go do it at home. It's too scary. I mean, how does that impact your business? 
Yeah, our top performing businesses are what we call, you know, QSR, anything with a drive-through window. You know, we have a pretty strong business in that regard. We're actually running increases to prior year. Our hardest hit business, Jim, is the travel, leisure, and mm -hmm. entertainment space. As you know, many, if not most, of those sectors are closed. And we do a large uh, government business vis-a-vis K-12 through education and even college education. And, yes, that business is down. We're working with our partners in that space. And what does that business look like in the future? Mm -hmm. Fewer buffet-style, all-you-can-eat meals, more uh, individual meals in to-go containers. And Cisco is bringing innovation in both the packaging and in the quality of that meal in single serve for the future. Well, look, I, the fact that you've done as well as you have, and I know uh, uh, my friend Nelson Peltz is thrilled with what, the work that you've done. How could you not be, given how much better you're doing the rest of the industry? Uh, this is going to be an unbelievable stock when we finally get that vaccine. And the interim is doing pretty well anyway. Kevin Hurricane, CEO of Cisco. Great to see you, sir. Thank you. Prepare, Tim. Thank you for having us oh, on. Okay. Uh, May of Money will be back after the break. These days, the automobile is looking like the safest choice to go from point A to point B in private. As Americans start their engines and rediscover the highways that connect us, is the company that made the Model T poised to become a model stock. Their flatbed is an American favorite, and their sports cars are Steve McQueen cool. But our investors built Ford tough enough to weather the electrifying shifts in the automobile space. Well, this is going to be exciting. This you're going to like. As the market gets hammered, you should be thinking about circling the wagons around groups that work even when COVID cases are exploding. And what's working? The automakers, especially the ones with non-COVID catalysts. Take my fave Ford Motor. We know the pandemic has made driving more attractive, but Ford's also a turnaround story. Over the summer, they brought in a new CEO, a guy I'd known for a while. His name is Jim Farley. Also known, as, by the way, as Jimmy Carcar. I'm not making that up. I saw it on a Salesforce video with Monica Langley. It's for real. They relaunched the Bronco in August, a lot of people's favorite. It already has over 190,000 reservations. They reported a terrific quarter two weeks ago, just a massive top and bottom line beat. Maybe more important, Ford keeps rolling out new electric vehicles like the Mach-E's SUV, likely coming before the end of the year, or an electric F-150 slated for 2022. In fact, earlier today, just today, Ford announced the E-Transit. That's an electric cargo van, their first electric vehicle for commercial customers. I think this is a terrific comeback story with an absurdly cheap stock. So let's take a closer look with Jimmy Corkar himself. Jim Farley, the new CEO of Ford Motor. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Farley, welcome to Man Money. Oh, it's great to be here, Jim. How exciting is it, Jim, to run this company, run this icon? I mean, my grandfather started the company in, uh, in uh, 1916, you know, uh, employee 389. I worked at Highland Park and then the Rouge plant. So, you know, everything good came into our family came from Ford. All right, let's talk about something good that's new, the, uh, the electric van, because I, I think that people all over the country want electric as the first reason why to buy something. Well, you know, this is a big deal for us because what makes us different is that we are investing in commercial vehicles. There's a lot of exciting retail vehicles like the new Mach-E comes out right now. But Ford's bet is to electrify our commercial vehicles. We're 50 percent of the market in the U.S. for commercials. Uh, the F-150 and the Transit are the number one nameplates in their segment. We sell over a half a million Transits a year around the globe. 
and we're going to electrify it. And the commercial customers really differ in the retail. They don't overbuy on range. Um, and our, our electric vehicles are going to bring uh, electrification to the job site. So people will be able to use that battery in the e-transit to power the job site. All right. So, look, I bought an F-350. And why did I do it? Because of power. Well, I get enough power with an electric 150 that I want because that's what diesel does. It's it's great power. Um, you know, the range is going to be about 300 miles. The big difference is for people on super long trips. You know, it's not the best, you know, it's not the best application. But we sell 1.1 million F-Series every year. And within that million unit customers, you know, we have some that have duty cycles that are perfect for electric. And, you know, the cost of electricity is a portion, just a small portion of gasoline. For those customers, they get 40% less parts to go wrong. Mm. They have better uptime and they have a, a lot and they have great performance um, and they have a lot lower cost of ownership. All right. Speak to me about the demand right now. I mean, some people feel we're in a terrible recession. Uh, I looked at before you came out, before you came on, I looked at F-150 used prices and the used prices are holding. I bet you some of them are like through the new prices of different models. It looks like therefore demand must be excellent. It's it's incredible. You know, you saw in our third quarter, you mentioned it, our finance company had a great performance. A lot of it had to do with really strong residuals. Our dealers seeing a lot of strong demand for used cars right now. They're worth a lot. And the market is rationalizing now. We're seeing in resale value, but prices are really strong. Why? Because we have overcapacity in our industry and the stocks are low. So when the stocks are low, there's pricing power. It happened in 08. It's happening again. How long will it last? Who knows? we got to work on our costs at Ford, but uh, it's really strong for us right now. We're, we're, we're getting prices we haven't seen in a long time. All right, COVID double-edged short for you. Obviously, people are moving to the suburbs, fleeing the cities. You can't, have, can't get around Uber. You need a car, maybe a used car, maybe a Ford, maybe a 150. But at the same time, uh, plants may have to close because of COVID. Uh, how are you balancing the two? Boy, it's uh, it is definitely a supply shock right now. I never thought that would happen, but that's what happened. Uh, our team is scrambling night and day. We have, um, you know, to to keep our plants going in the Midwest. We have the most American jobs of any car company, most American workers to keep those plants going. We're air shipping vehicles. I think we have 400 suppliers on premium freight right now. Mexico, um, we have lots of suppliers with high absenteeism, but our team's working through it. As I like to say, scrambling is a core competency of Ford right now. Oh, I like that. Now, how about the Bronco? Are you scrambling to make a lot of them, given the uh, demand? <laughs> it's, it's out of control. Uh, you know, we, uh, we're really excited to bring Bronco back uh, after all these years. Um, it's an iconic product. I think we, we execute the product really well. As you said, we have almost 200,000 orders. Right now, we're trying to figure out uh, to work with the supply base on how to get our production uh, back up. So we're kind of sold out on the first units. Uh, I think it's the first true competitor to great companies like Jeep. And it's about time. You know, this is Ford's strategy. We're going back to the basics right. and creating these iconic vehicles. All right, well, let's go back to the basics. Uh, I like the movie Bullet. I like Steve McQueen. Okay, well, that's what the hottest car was then. One of the greatest movies I've seen in a long time. I was Ford versus Ferrari. You race cars. It's something you like. You are a car guy, Jimmy Car Car. Can Ford be that Ford again? 
Yes, absolutely. You know, look, our business is forever changed with connectivity, uh, with electrification, and those are good things. It's just better relationship with the customers, lower cost for our customers, but, you know, product still matters. You look at the Bronco and the F-150, the new Mustang Mach-E, and, uh, you know, yes, uh, we can absolutely do it, and we're doing it. We got all these new products coming out. Can't wait to see what Americans think of it. Well, I like the, the, the partnership with Salesforce because the idea of becoming uh, integral to the small, medium-sized business is what you should have been doing, frankly, uh, for a long time. Yep, that's right. You know, where we get our strength at Ford is commercial, small, and medium-sized business, plumbers, electricians. And if you, if you ride around with them like I have, they're running their business on Post-it notes inside of their right. F-150s and their vans. They are so underserved. So to come with an enterprise solution so they could do dynamic routing, uh, coaching for their drivers, even inventorying, you know, it's a huge chance. In fact, bringing autonomy, even partial autonomy to them frees up a lot of time so they can, you know, go for more jobs, bid for more jobs. So, you know, we really have a unique relationship with these customers. We're 50 percent of the market. Uh, and now we can go into the software and also the services business to maintain the vehicles for a lower cost. But it's a big change for Ford. All right. So, Jim, speaking of big changes, I've always felt, and I dealt with your predecessors, uh, that Ford feels like it had to be in every country, no matter what. And, and I used to get off the phone with the guys and say, listen, we lost this money. We lost the amount of this money. But we have, to, we have to be there. Are you committing right now to people? including people who say, can Ford execute in 2021, Target $9, Morgan Stanley. Can you commit to us the idea that you want to make money everywhere or else you don't want to be there? It's the only principle. Our, our plan is really simple. Turn around automotive operations, modernize the company, and disrupt ourselves. That first point, we absolutely have to have a sustainable path to profitability or we will not be in a market. It's that simple. Wow. You know, that's different from your predecessors. You know that that's a commitment that you're making that is different from the history of Ford, which has to stop losing money and stop cutting dividends and stop doing the things that make it so that people who bought your stock are disappointed. Well, let's let's look at it this way. You know, a lot of our competitors have left Europe or Southeast Asia. Ford has a different business profile. We have a great commercial vehicle business in Europe. We have a great ranger business in Thailand and South and in Australia. So, you know, we have we have a global strength with our commercial vehicles that others don't have. It doesn't mean we're going to pull out of every market, you know, but it does mean that this team is committed to having sustainable path to profitability in all the markets we compete in. That doesn't mean we're going to leave all the markets. Right. It just means that you know, that's how it's going to be. So don't look at us uh, like the same way you would look at another company who doesn't have the commercial strength. On the other hand, absolutely. Let me just ask this. The last question that uh, it sounds like if it's a great market, you can double down. But under the current president, I would be afraid that Ford would be blasted in Twitter saying this guy Farley is building plants where he shouldn't be building plants. If there's a great market, are you OK building the plant there now? Yes. Yes. I mean, we're investing heavily. Look, uh, for electrification, like F-150, um, as well as the transit, we just announced $900 million investment in America. Uh, we're producing here because that's where the electric vehicles are going to be made. Okay. 
Fair enough. Well, look, we wish you best of luck. We do think that Ford can execute in 2021. I think Target 9 is wrong. I'm saying Target 12. All right? You good with that? I'm with you. I'm with you. I got to get back to work. All right. I like that attitude. Jim Farley, Ford Motor Company, Mad Money's back after the break. for the high-flying tech stocks, some have been crushed. So we have to ask, is there anything that's come down so much that it's too enticing to ignore? Well, how about Adorix, the software analytics play? Here's a stock that was on a roll until August when the company reported a great quarter with very cautious guidance, which caused it to lose more than a third of its value in a matter of days. After bouncing along the bottom, Adorix made a comeback a little over a month ago, pre-announcing some incredibly strong numbers for the third quarter. In response, the stock spiked from 113 to 145 in a single session. Fast forward to last week, though, and the company reports their full third quarter results. The numbers come in much higher than expected, but it didn't matter because once again, Alex gave you a very grim forecast. Sure enough, the stock went into a tailspin, plunging from 144 to 115. Since then, it's come down more than another point. And i got to tell you, that guidance was indeed worse. They're talking about a mid-single-digit sales decline, down from 25% increase last quarter. However, part of me feels like we've seen this movie before. Alaric just did the same thing three months ago. Turned out to be one of those situations that I think they really kind of under-promised and they over-delivered. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with a change of uh, command here with Dean Stoker, the co-founder, executive chairman and former CEO, along with his successor, Mark Anderson, the new CEO and formerly the president of Palo Alto Networks, PNW, we have all the time. Mr. Stoker, Mr. Anderson, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Good to see you. All right. Let's get to it. First, Dean, uh, you are uh, stepping up to a new role. Uh, I think you're a young fellow. I think you have many more years ahead of you. Why now? Well, uh, Jim, I've been at this a long time. I've been at the helm of uh, Ultrix for 23 years. It has been a long, emotional journey. I I know the journey for the company is not over with. Uh, We are less than 1% penetrated into the the TAM that we've identified as a $50 billion TAM. And I'm confident that uh, Mark Anderson is the guy to fill my shoes and take it forward. Okay, so Mark, uh, cybersecurity, we, uh, we talk to Palo Alto all the time, as you know, and have for 10 years. Uh, how is that uh, synergistic with what you're doing now at ours? Well, thanks a lot for having me on, Jim, and I definitely appreciate it. <clears throat> Excuse me, longtime fan and Thank watcher. You. Uh, yeah, listen, I think what I loved about Palo Alto Networks was the mission, right, to you know, prevent successful cyber attacks. And at, at Alteryx, I think we've got an equally compelling mission where – you know, our customers are struggling with the vast amounts of data that are swirling around their business. And, and you know, those that can command control of that data and deliver, you know, insights to, to drive data-driven decisions are, are really separating themselves, you know, from the losers. And, and uh, I love the fact that, you know, especially we get a chance to, you know, with our platform, upskill workers, you know, people that have lived the miserable existence of banging your head against the wall with the, the local spreadsheet uh, application, we get to, you know, allow them with a simple drag and drop to really make the data sing and, and prepare it for advanced analytics. Yeah. Uh, Dean, I was talking with uh, one of your uh, accolades, the proselytizer for the product doesn't work for the company, uh, but works for another company uh, it's that he's brought the uh, Alderix in. And it's almost as if uh, it's threatened a lot of other people because he's a kid that didn't really know how to code. There are all these other people that are uh, above him making a lot of money. And I said to him in preparation for knowing I was going to see you, how many people could you fire at the company if you keep doing outdoors? He said one third of the people right now immediately 
don't need to be here because that's how powerful the product is. Do you find that to be a very similar situation? A lot of other companies sometimes probably meeting some resistance from the people who don't want to fire anybody. Well, there's certainly those that, that would resist, but I, I don't think it's about firing people. I think it's about repositioning people into more meaningful roles rather than, you know, drowning in VLOOKUPs in, in, in Excel. And, and you're right. We, you know, Mark was spot on. We, we bring people back to life. We get them productive. Uh, one of my board members said, I get all tricks. You turn every data worker into a discoverer of marginal profitability for the enterprise. And that's exactly what we do so that those people who, you know, no longer have to drown in VLOOKUPs can go do something more meaningful for the organization. All right, so you came in and the, the, you've been bombarded. I've read the, the virtual one, the investor presentation, but you just did a, a really interesting conversation that you had uh, uh, November 5th, um, which is, you know, this is kind of a, a refinitive street event edited tech that, that said to me something that did worry me, okay? It said uh, you were asked by a Guggenheim analyst about whether there was more churn. Uh, you were asked about whether there's the possibility that the deals are shorter and it's taking longer because of the environment. And the analyst questions basically were on the line of, well, wait a second, a lot of our companies are doing incredibly well because of COVID. Why are some of your deals being delayed and why are they shorter? And it is, it does call into question what's going on. Yeah, listen, I think, you know, I think a lot of our, a lot of our prospects and customers have been impacted by the, you know, the pandemic in different ways. I think one of the things that we've really tried to do is is make sure we can instruct people how to leverage our platform to deliver real outcomes around the pandemic. You know, uh, important use cases like really determining you know, how to ship medicine around the country in the most efficient way uh, from some of our customers. And so, you know, we um, I, I came here for a reason, Jim. I mean, I'm, I'm a knuckle dragger at heart. You know, my mm-hmm. my. Uh, I built my career being in the details, and and I think at this stage of our of our reality at, at Alteryx, you know, we we have the opportunity to build something special. I think you know, there's nobody that's really broken out in this space and and taken over. And and you know, given the fact that we've got our citizen data scientists when they're using our platform, the experience that's the high watermark. We're going to build a machine around that experience so that customers can consume our innovation as efficiently and friction-free as possible, and so that they drive specific outcomes that matter to them. And, and you know, I certainly uh, feel comfortable at this stage. It's it's within, a, you know, a few years of mm-hmm. my joining both uh, Palo Alto Networks and F5, and, and we get a great team. Uh, I'm super excited about, you know, killing it. All right. One last question, Dean. There's a fantastic uh, interview on your website, a woman from BAE. She's Human Resources. This Your product turned her into somebody who is respected beyond human resources, which is incredibly important. My daughter's human resources. And the first thing I thought of was like, yes, respect matters. But it was done with Alteryx. Uh, is that something It was on-prem? But is that something that shows you how you have empowered people who are otherwise not empowered within their organization? Well, remember, the design time is on-prem. The runtime is uh, in the cloud if you choose or behind the firewall. So we give great flexibility. And, and it's also flexibility across the enterprise. It's not just the folks in HR. It's it's everyone in supply chain and analytics mm-hmm. and the Office of Finance. Uh, we're, we're actually helping all of the workers upskill themselves so that organizations around the world can finally get access to the $15 trillion of value that's locked up in data sources sitting right around them. 
Well, I want to thank you both for coming on. And the empowerment should not be lost on people, especially young people, who feel a little intimidated by a process that maybe is not as good as the people who said it, who put it together think. Dean Stoker, <laughs> congratulations, co-founder, executive chairman, and former CEO, former CEO of Alaris, and Mark Anderson, the new CEO of Alaris. Great to see you both. Thank you. All right, Jim. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. It is time! It's time! It's time! It's time! It's time! It's time! It's time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy to the light round! Here's my mother's over. Jalen in Florida. Jalen! Booyah, Jim! Booyah, Jalen! What's going on? Hey, man. Thanks for taking my call. With the incoming administration, what's the likelihood for Kodak to fulfill our need for homegrown innovation in the future for vaccines? Um, I wouldn't bet on Kodak to be a, that, big, that big a part in the situation. Uh, as a matter of fact, I actually think that might be a good situation to be able to ka-ching, ka-ching, and find a better one. Hey, let's go to Matthew in California. Matthew! Hey, Jim, thanks for all you do, and big booyah from the Marines, the Blackfoot Company, Third Light Armor Reconnaissance Battalion. Wow. Good work. Thank you. Thank you. What's going on? Uh, my stock is... My stock is Blackstone Group. I've owned it for about two years. Kind of take some profits or keep holding on. No, no, you want to keep that running. Blackstone is really, really good situation. My dad was always scared of the Marines. He was. He was in the Army. He said, listen, those guys go in first. What the hell's going on? They have to go in first. So congratulations on everything you've done for our country. How about Tasha and Marilyn? Tasha. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so as a fairly new investor, um, I've mainly stayed away from retail stocks due to the pandemic and the impact it's had on right. sales earnings. Um, however, I've been looking into Best Buy, um, and I read that the company is projecting $50 billion in revenue uh, by 2025 with plans to ramp up its technical support offerings and also venture into the senior healthcare arena. Um, so my question for you, Kramer, is are you bullish on the Best Buy stock for the long term, and when would be a good time? For the long term, yes. I'm glad you put that in because right now I'm recommending Costco and uh, I'm recommending Walmart because I think they're more able to deal with the pandemic. Uh, but longer term, Best Buy is fantastic. And remember, the house, the renovation house trade is distinctly Best Buy because of the great TVs that they have and so many other good stuff. I love going to Best Buy. Let's go to Chester, Missouri. Chester. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Lieutenant Caspar from Kansas City, Missouri. I know my young sailors are uh, playing video games on their free time. I'm holding Zynga, and after a bad earnings, should I be buying more or letting well, I'll tell you go? What's amazing. I'll tell you what's amazing. That stock made it all the way back is actually a testament to that new management, and I think you can hold on to it, and thank you for your service. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel. Hey, Jim. How are you? I'm good. How about you? Good, good. So I got two-part question for you. Two, two parts. Uh, all right. So you've had good things to say about AMD in the past. Oh, my um, God. What do I ever? <laughs> So with IBM and AMD partnering up announced yesterday, um, what does this do on your opinion of AMD? And then second, will this move the needle on IBM? Uh, no, not on either. By the way, you know, Lisa Sue, Lisa Sue worked at IBM, uh, and I think it's a good announcement for both, but it won't move the needle. What will move the needle is tremendous earnings from AMD and the closing of a very difficult deal that some people don't seem to like that I think is going to end up being terrific, Xilinx. Let's go to Nicholas in Hawaii. Nicholas. Jimmy Chill. Ha-ha. Pleasure talking, with, pleasure talking with you, sir. 
My question is for Salesforce. Is it time to initiate a quarter position for Salesforce? I would do a quarter position. That's the way I would do it. Even by always thinking about buying maybe a partial. You know, these these uh, firms have partial shares. Such a good thing. My friend Matt Horby suggested I mention that to everybody. He's absolutely right. But yes, it was downgraded today. I thought the downgrade was fatuous. I think it's a good place to start a position. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. When you see Chinese consumers spending $115 billion as part of the Singles Day Consumer Spending Festival, that's a holiday the communists dreamed up to help move merchandise. It's natural to assume that a needle mover for any American company with big Chinese exposure is here. It makes sense that you want to buy the stocks. But that's the wrong approach, people. When you're picking stocks, what matters is the future, not the past. So now that Singles Day is in the rearview mirror, the important thing is that it gives us clues about which companies are taking share in China's booming economy. And that's something we're thinking about on a day when American stocks were just getting clobbered. Okay, so what happened here? We know that Apple sold a ton of product that Singles Day, but Apple's so huge that even a gigantic sales event probably isn't enough to move their needle. While I still uh, think that Apple's worth buying, of course, that is more to do with component orders than with Singles Day. In other words, I've seen a lot of companies sell into Apple and their orders are just booming. We know North Face sold plenty, so you could buy shares of its parent company, VF Corp. But that stock just jumped 10 percent when we found out about Pfizer's COVID vaccine. I like VF Corp, the company. But when you look at how much the stock is run, and consider they just shelled out $2.1 billion for Supreme, that's a Colt streetwear brand, I think this one's actually ahead of itself. Hey, by the way, uh, Levi's did well too, but I'm a little nervous about that one. Under Armour, very big singles day, as did Nike. Now, Under Armour's a maybe. This company spent years trying to turn itself around. It looks like they're finally getting some traction. By the way, I love their sport mask. Still, if you buy Under Armour here, you're betting they'll have a big holiday season over here, as North America accounts for more than two-thirds of their sales. I bet they can pull it off, but I really wouldn't call it a China play. Which brings me, brings me to the two names you need to focus on, two American companies that crushed it in singles day. Yes, crushed it. Nike and Estee Lauder. Nike gets 18% of its business from China. If they get a big bump from this made-up shopping holiday, I'd expect the analysts to raise their numbers maybe as soon as tomorrow. The stock's now down nearly 10 bucks from its highs, and we know that the analysts love re-recommending this one whenever they can dig up a positive new data point. Singles Day has given them exactly that. As for Estee Lauder, the cosmetic kingpin, it's got a ton of Chinese exposure, even though people don't think about it. A lot of people hear Estee Lauder and assume it's joined at the hip to ailing mall-based department stores that carry its merchandise. But these guys actually pivoted away from those dinosaurs eons ago. Estee Lauder now is a big online business, and they're selling a lot of stuff through Ulta Beauty. We know that they, they, they just teamed up with Target. We had uh, Mary Dillon on last night uh, to roll out 100 stores within a store subject. By the way, uh, Mary Dillon says she expects to sell prestige brands, and when you hear prestige, that means you're selling Estee Lauder. But China and the surrounding area, mainly in China, but also, by the way, the, um, the duty-free shops that are around China, uh, say in Hong Kong, that's the real opportunity. Because they're much better about wearing masks than we are. Wearing masks all the time can mess up your skin. Enter Estee Lauder, which moved a lot of La Mer 
and advanced night repair skincare products for Singles Day. Those were the big sellers. I think the earnings estimates are too low. They sold a lot of Joe Malone, too, by the way. Apparently, they may have sold more merchandise on this made-up holiday than any other American company. And, and by the way, it's also the most expensive stuff they sold. And look, every country on Earth needs to get religion on mass like China and its neighbors. The virus is exploding here and in Europe. But Asian governments took the threat seriously, and their citizens actually behaved responsibly probably because they already had the experience with the SARS epidemic. Now, the whole world is going to be forced to wear masks, whether we like it or not. And we sure we hope for the vaccine, but that ain't coming that fast, which means lots of people with skin problems on their face. For the longest time, Estee Lauder's main driver was cosmetics. Thanks to COVID, it's skin care. That's leading the way for them, and it's very profitable. I bet the analysts will be all over themselves to raise their estimates here, and higher estimates translate into higher stock prices, even in this new lousy stock market that we have. As the market goes down, maybe you use this weakness to buy something like this, Estee Lauder. At this pace, it's more leverage to a healthy China than a weaker United States. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Made Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.